but it's, it's a lifestyle. It's like we can sit around and talk about food and the meal plans, but mm-hmm. that isn't it. That's just a little, it's, it's, I don't say a little, but it's just a piece of it. It's the awareness. It's the intention. It's how you talk to people in public. It's like how we can, it's all these things that mm-hmm. it's a yoga mind. It, it's, you know, it's visualizing and manifesting. It's, it's taking control of your mental, physical, spiritual health in a way that food can help. I think if you make the right decisions around food, that right decision-making can benefit other areas of your life and relationships. I do believe that, but it's got to all be in unison. It can't just be, I only eat healthy, but I'm an asshole. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you very much for being here. Um, I appreciate it. I am Pat McCauley, as always. Um, Happy 2020, everybody. Happy New Year. I hope everybody had a fantastic holiday season, a happy, healthy, or somewhat healthy holiday season, um, and you're gearing up to have an awesome year. Um, and this is the first episode I've put out in a number of weeks and, um, that hopefully won't be a trend, but I am definitely going to strive, um, in 2020 to really push myself beyond my comfort zone and get, um, guests that, you know, are maybe a little above my pay grade, (laughs) if you will. And people I really admire and when I sit down I'm kind of like damn like I'm sitting down with this person and I'm sharing their story and hopefully um, as a result can really level this up so you're hearing you know the stories of some of the uh, best and brightest um, in their particular areas and um, you know ultimately hopefully I can bring more value to everybody that listens and um, yeah so I may not be weekly this year I may be bi-weekly, I may be once a month, I may be twice a week. I'm not really sure yet, um, but I'm just really going to focus on getting um, just guests that, that really bring everybody a lot of value. Not that all my incredible, amazing guests have done that, um, but I just want to kind of really level this up and, and hopefully provide more valuable to, uh, value to everybody listening. Uh, so anyway, uh, this episode is a is exactly that, uh, is a great way to kick off the new year, uh, is an inspiring story to kick off the new year. Um, this week's guest is Chef Alan Campbell. And for those in the Boston area, um, you probably know Alan. Um, a couple years ago, he sort of uh, came into the public eye when, um, I think it was Boston.com, uh, did an article about him uh, being the chef uh, of Tom Brady and Giselle. And this was around Tom was starting to get more outspoken about his eating habits and how he's been able to stay healthy and do what he does at his age. Um, And he, uh, Alan at the time, was uh, their personal chef. And so he sort of in the the public spotlight became the chef of Tom Brady. um, And that kind of stuck with him. Uh, So a lot of Bostonians, you probably know him, um, and people in the New England area. Um, But... Um, Alan is not only a chef, he's um, an entrepreneur, he's an author, um, he co-authored uh, the TB12 Method, um, and his most recent one, uh, The Game of Eating Smart, 
which was based around um, MLB, MLB athletes um, eating for performance. Um, and so he's become sort of like a sought-after sought expert in kind of the world of sports nutrition, where it works with athletes, actors, all kinds of people to kind of dial in um, how they eat. Um, but what I love most about Alan, um, is him, is his personality, is his work ethic, um, is where he comes from and his story, um, that really is inspiring to me and I hope it's inspiring to you. Um, and we talk all about that. We talk about him growing up in Boston in a poor, um, not great situation, uh, somewhat of a turbulent household, um, in his teens, started working in kitchens just to make money and get by. Um, at 15, he had a tumor uh, that he talks about and how he had to get it uh, removed. Um, how then he bounced around to Boston restaurants and at the time describes himself as kind of this young, hot-headed chef. And he didn't last long at, at certain jobs and he bounced around. Um, we talk about his struggle with alcohol addiction. Um, his eventual journey to sobriety, um, and then from there, how he completely transformed his entire life to put his health and wellness um, as the number one priority in his life. Um, and from there, uh, really got big into um, healthy food uh, when he moved down to Miami, and then ultimately, um, through some uh, fateful connections was hired by uh, Tom Brady and Giselle. Um, we talk about what he learned from his time uh, with the Bradys. Um, and then we go all into his new business, which he's launching uh, January 5th. Um, it's called AC Kitchen. Uh, it's what he calls nutrition-forward comfort food. Um, it's uh, meal delivery. Uh, it's going to start out as meal delivery. Um, and... He's just doing it right. Uh, he has an incredible team. He has an incredible uh, kitchen and location. Um, and he's going to be delivering uh, nutrition-forward, uh, amazing-tasting uh, food uh, to Boston. And he's only taken on about 30 customers or so to start. So I know he's not full yet. So if you are interested in becoming one of the first 30 to get... Um, Meals delivered to you, uh, cooked by the one and only uh, Chef Alan Campbell. Um, email connect at alancampbell.com. I'll leave that in the show notes as well um, and on my website. Um, I can't say enough about Alan. I can't say enough about uh, his, his story. Uh, he's open about his struggles. He's open about you know, what he's had to do to get to where he is. And I think a lot of us see, you know, oh, he's Tom Brady's chef, he's this author, he's this celebrity chef and, and sort of celebrity personality. Um, but you don't see the shit and the, and the, the hardship and living on friends' couches and, um, you know, not paying your student debts and all of the things that, he did to get to where he is. And, and that to me is super powerful. And I love that he's open and, and willing to share it. So this is an incredible way to kick off the year. I wish everybody a happy new year. Um, follow Alan, follow, follow AC kitchen. 
Um, and I wish everybody an incredible 2020. Um, so without further ado, the one and only Alan Campbell. Times are related is your currency. Oh, you can spend it all you like. <clears throat> all right, Alan Campbell. What's up, What's man? up, man? Good to see you. Yeah, you Thanks too. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, I was thinking on my way out, uh, it's been about two, two-ish years, two, maybe yep. three years even, yep. since we first connected. Three years. Probably close, right? Maybe the end of 2016. End of 2016, uh-huh. early 2017, um, wow. when I was first uh, venturing away from beer into food <laughs> yep. um, and trying to figure out like which direction I was going to go. Yep. Knew I was going to go plant-based, so like your name kept coming up because yep. that's obviously part of what you do. Um, yeah, and haven't seen you in a while, but been following everything you do and everything you're doing and, uh, as always a fan. So cool. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I know a little bit, um, but I've never gotten like deep into the Alan Campbell story. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to kind of like understand, you know, where you came from and kind of how you've gotten to this point. And I know Mm -hmm. you're, you're originally a Boston guy and Mm -hmm. If you want to kind of take it back to, you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, maybe a little bit of lifestyle at the time slash, you know, what the parents were feeding you and things like that and life growing up. Yeah, definitely. So I was just talking to my brother today and we, our biggest topic when we get together is laughing about our childhood, right? Because to be honest, it was pretty dysfunctional and we always (laughs) say we put the fun in dysfunctional, right? We grew up in the projects We for like the first he was like nine, I was like five when we left, and lower middle income family, like not a lot of money, a lot of abuse, a lot of kids getting slapped around, my dad walked out, that kind of thing. It wasn't the best childhood, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a home and a foundation that we could, on paper, thrive from. Are you in Boston? Somerville. Somerville. Gotcha. So Somerville and then Chelmsford. And yep. then I came back to Somerville when I was uh, 20. Mm-hmm. So... By the age of 27, when I went to Miami, I had lived in both places about the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, long story short, um, we made the best of what we had. And I think my mom, stepdad did the best they could with what they knew. Um, and we ended up pretty good. My brother's retired Marine. My sister's very successful. Like we all ended up good. But looking back at the childhood, it was, a, it was kind of a shit show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And are you like, what type of kid are you? Are you like playing sports? Or are you? Yeah. So we played sports. Yeah. We yeah. played football. We wanted to play hockey. Couldn't afford to play hockey. We played, we did play football. We played a little baseball. Um, I rode horses for like a short time, random. Like I would do anything athletic. I even would do like gymnastics when I was little. Like I, like I said, I played baseball. I played football. I, I like to be active. I was bouncing off walls. Mm. I was one of those kids that would just run everywhere. Right. Mm. So I was constantly being put in different sports, um, but also had a lot of health issues. I was constantly getting surgeries on my head. I had, I had hearing loss and different stuff going on. And um, I was sick a lot all the way through. Even now, I still have some health conditions. Um, so that junior year in high school, I got surgery, the second one on my left ear that was pretty major and couldn't even wear my helmet anymore. It was painful. Just I can't even wear hats, really. Yeah. It's still painful, wow. like, what, 20 years, 20 years later to put something on my head. Um, so for those reasons, sports became like, it was bittersweet. I wanted to play, football was a sport that I loved, 
but this frustration of like, I can't really play it. So like, fuck it. I'm going to just not play anything. Like just bitter, resentful teenager because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I felt restricted. I felt almost like handicapped in some ways. I couldn't hear very well. I couldn't taste on half of my mouth. I couldn't, I still can't taste. So really? Like, yeah. Yeah. Half of my face and my tongue is there's no nothing going on from so when you're doing like when you're like tasting what you're making i can you... still taste fully so you don't know when you have yeah. this condition that i have you don't know and what if is I put it? something if here if you don't mind me asking what is the? so they had to cut nerves in order to remove this massive tumor that i had in my head wow and that condition caused all the sensation and taste buds to be gone and this is when you're seven, 17 i was 15 at the time 15 yeah, so from 15 Damn. on, I had barely hearing, any hearing in the left side, and all the taste buds are gone, too. Wow. But like I said, there was times when I couldn't taste or everything tasted like metal, but now you can't. Unless I'm chewing only on that side, which nobody does, I can taste just fine. Mm. You know, I don't tell many people this because I'm a chef. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. is he tasting my food? Can he even taste? But the truth is, is I can taste just fine. It's, it's like I said, no one chews on just one side. Uh -huh. um, but it is like... Going back then, it was certainly um, played a role in what I was able to do physically yeah. in the kitchen, that kind of thing. And you're at Chelmsford High or? <clears throat> no, I went to Neshoba Tech in Westford. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Neshoba Tech was a vocational school. Yep. Um, one week of shop, one week of academics. I did that all four years and I was in culinary. So by the time I graduated, I was like top of my class in that, in that field and I was already working in restaurants. I was making pretty good money. Like I had a pretty decent like experience under my belt because of that time in school yeah. and working in, in the restaurant business. Um, and back then I did it as, as a job, right? I wanted to have my own car and my own clothes and I didn't know that I was going to be a chef. Right. I did it back then because it was I, my first job at 11 or 11 or 12 was like four seventy five an hour. Mm. Right. We did whatever we could to make a little money. Um, but I can't say that I really had this deep passion to be, like I wasn't watching Julia Child and I thought she was annoying, right? I wasn't really <laughs> yeah. into like... You're just trying to make some money so you exactly. could like go out with your buddies. Exactly. I think yeah. that passion, the passion didn't really kick in, I think, until college when my chef instructor in high school was like, Alan, you're really talented. Like you should pursue this. Um, and he ended up being like a dad to me. I didn't really have a, a role model in my life. And he was the one that would give me that reassurance. Like you are a good person <laughs> like you can you are talented you are successful you can go and do this and i listened to him i actually spoke about it i did the commencement speech at my school in 2017 and i talked about him because he had such a big role in my next steps in life mm -hmm. and i didn't really have i was the first one in my family to go to college the second one to graduate high school never mind go to college so i didn't wow. have parents that even knew anything about even graduating high school never mind going on to college, right? Mm. So, um, but he asked, he, no, he, he suggested I go to Newberry College in Brookline. And that's when I started to really feel like we had to be really buttoned up and handkerchief and like <laughs> clean shaven and like, I'm like, I'm a chef now. Like, um, and I really started to like read the books, study the chefs, obviously like learn everything I could learn. Um, but that's when that, that I think that, that switch flipped and I really started to dive into the passion and the art and the creativity of culinary arts and not just a job to make some money. Yeah. And was there someone in particular that you strive to uh, be like or, or model yourself after in terms of a chef at that time? Like, was there somebody early on that you found that you're like, damn, this guy 
is impressive. I want to learn kind of yeah, how mean, he's, uh-huh. you know, done what he's done. So I think back then I would like, so I moved back to Boston, moved back to Somerville when I was 20, right? And I started chasing, like, if I would, I'd read a magazine like the Metro or something. And if a chef had like the newest restaurant, I would go after him. And back then it was a very different world. There wasn't much going, barely an internet back then, right? Hmm. So if you had a name and awards and you were prominent in the city, yeah, that's what I went after. Whether it was uh, Daniel Bruce at the Boston Harbor Hotel or like um, Victor Payon, he was at like Brico Mari Umbria back then. Not Mari, Brico and Umbria. Uh, Tutorial El Panino, he's Frank DiPasquale's chef. So like I'd go after these guys that, because I was from Chelmsford. I was living in Chelmsford that whole time. So I come down to Boston, there's like big city, and like I was super impressed by, I worked at like the Bay Tower Room, it was my first job. Do you know Bay Tower Room? No. 32nd floor of 60 State Street. Okay. It was like members only, like Robert Kraft came in, John Henry came in when okay, I was there. Wow. I was like, oh my God, like Robert <laughs> Kraft's in there. Like, and I was like 20, I turned 21 there. So super impressed. The, the head chef was Paul Diogenes back then. He ended up being a crook, but anyway... It was the chefs that were doing food that I'd never seen. I can't say that I followed one particular chef. Mm. There was barely cooking shows. Emerald was on, but right, there wasn't right. much happening back then. I'm aging myself, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're there. So eventually you find yourself... Do you bounce around Boston a little bit and then eventually... A lot. You just, a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over the next few years? Or? Yeah, over the next seven years. Yep. So from 20 to 27, yep. I spent time in maybe 30 different places. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I bounced around. Yeah, and then... But I would always get the next job. Yeah. I would leave, I would even get fired, or I would quit, or I would butt heads with the chef, or I would throw down with one of the sous chefs. Like, <laughs> it was always something. I was a hot-headed, young, eager, ambitious chef. Yeah. And um, I had a lot to learn about mm-hmm. myself and about what works for this industry, and I didn't have the tools to do it. Mm. And so I was button heads with like every chef I worked for was like, this guy's an asshole. Like he needs to get out. Like I would be fired. I would quit. I would, yeah, that happened a lot. Yeah. It and then quite some time. And then eventually you, you go down to Miami. So 2008, 2009, I go to Miami. Yep. And, and was that like, what prompted that? You were just like, um, I've been in every damn <clears throat> restaurant in Boston. Like, let me go. Like, so I got, I got sober in 2008. Yeah. In September of 2008, I got sober and. Economy. So is that pre-Miami? Pre-Miami. Pre-Miami, okay. Yeah, 2008. I know, surprisingly. I, I, st- I went to Miami and stayed sober the whole time. So can I, 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 I was, yeah, yeah, I pictured the story being like, you go down to Miami and no. that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, no, I know. That's how it mo- mostly happens. That's like 90% of the story. So can we, can we get into, before we go to Miami, can we get into like, just a little bit like what the lifestyle was like? Because I know like... Uh. That's a big thing with it chef yeah. and addiction just is, people in the industry. It's like yeah. because you're around it all day. You know? Yeah. So addiction is. I remember being given a six pack mm. on my station when I was 18. Mm. Right, having my bosses when I was 16, 17, 18, buying me alcohol on the weekends or on a weekday. Yeah. It was very acceptable because I was very good at what I did even back then. Mm-hmm. I hauled ass. I got the job done. Um, I had a great work ethic. I was on time. Like you know and. So if I asked my boss to buy me a bottle, like they did, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and then, like I said, as I grew up, you know, that was mostly like the suburban places. As you get to Boston, more professional high-end kitchens, that stuff isn't really as acceptable. Um, so as much as 
it's known that addiction runs rampant, rampant, unhealthy eating, cheating on your wife or husband, all that stuff is known in the industry. Mm. When you're in a professional kitchen at the highest level, that's not the norm. Mm. Like I stood out like a sore thumb in some places. Yep. Um, cause I was, yeah, I, I had a pretty serious problem with alcohol at a pretty young age, even in high school I did. Mm. Um, I tried to get sober when I was 19 and mm. I did for like six months. I had some stuff happen. There was a couple car accidents and stuff and I never had any DUIs or anything major happen, but my spirit was just dark and I was barely holding on for quite a long time. Um, and like I said, I was an asshole in the kitchen a lot and I would get fired and I would quit. And it was a lot of it was because I wasn't really taking care of myself. Yeah. I wasn't there mentally, physically, <clears throat> spiritually the way that I could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that eventually like the shame and embarrassment of losing jobs and being set up by chefs telling me, looking me in the face, crying. One chef was literally crying saying, Alan, you have all this potential. Like, I just want to help you get there. And I couldn't show up. Yeah. I would come in and I would stink like alcohol and it was, it was so hard and I couldn't stop. Right. And I couldn't just not do this. And there was life circumstances. I've had some tragedies happen in my life, but that isn't really relevant to like the boss who needs you to come in and do a job. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what happened in your life, health conditions, loss, I've had a murder in my family and all kinds of crazy things have happened. I didn't know how to process those things and I would just drink basically. Mm -hmm. um, so ultimately 2008, I checked myself into a detox and I got sober and for the second time. 2007 I tried and then 2008 I actually did. Wow. And I stayed sober, yeah, since. And then... Yeah. Wow. Congrats, man. Yeah, like that's, you. uh, you know, it's something that I think run, like it, it's something that is very, uh, real and way more prominent than, uh, people like to admit. It yeah. certainly is something in my family, yeah. um, alcohol and like, I see the, I've seen the effects of it, you know, with, you know, siblings and, and cousins and all these things. And like, you know, a lot of them still haven't taken that step <clears throat> of checking in somewhere and, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, uh, you know, figure things out. So right. I know how hard that is. Well, that's why I talk about it because yeah. it isn't always the, the first thing I want to talk about. It's not the yeah. first thing that I want to showcase about who I am. And, but it's not about me. It's not about what people perceive. It's really about that person that might be able to say, you know what? Alan got here and that's his past or mm. he just talked about a story that I can relate to. Maybe I should address this or maybe I can do it too because like you, it's rampant in my family. I've lost so many people that I love dearly. I have two sisters within a seven month period that one that I was very close to just recently that had kids and it's extremely sad, right? And so that's why I talk about it. It's not about, I lost my best friend in 2016. Like I've lost a lot of people because of this. So I passed the judgment of those small group of people that might be judgmental and more of like if one person listens to this and they might feel inspired or feel like there's hope. That's why I do it. It's not about nothing to do with me. Love it. I yeah. love it, man. So then Miami, then and Miami that was so like, so you're sober now. You're probably thinking, uh, yep. totally differently. 
Not uh, yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm only four months sober. <laughs> right. So I live in a sober house. I live in a pretty low-end, beat-up sober house. For yep. like the first in, in Boston? In Miami. In Boston oh, first, in my, okay. and then Miami, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Yeah, like a low-budget sober house. I lived in Boston first, and then I went to Miami. Yeah, and was there a specific program that um, it was, like, under? So sober houses, the way they work... This type of thing is like they'll give you a urine test every couple of days and you pay your rent and yep. you've got to go to a couple of meetings and you've got to do this. But it wasn't really a program. Gotcha. The program that I got sober in, it's a 12-step program Yeah. Um, that I still adhere to today. It's still a big – it's a spiritual path that I have yeah. strongly leaned on. That and, is, w- and was that just show up to a meeting or was that something you learned when you checked yourself in to a – So it's all encompassing, right? Yeah, it's, gotcha. it's all pretty much based on a 12-step program. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's what just seems to work. Um, so yeah, so in Miami, I moved into another one. That ended up being a total crapshoot. It was not what I thought it was, but it worked. It gave me what I needed at that time. Um, but little by slowly, I had roommates at first in this really dumpy place. A bunch of us living in there, and then I saved money and I got my own place. And I stayed in that apartment for three three years. I was in the same place on South Beach, mm-hmm. and I worked it on Collins and I would take my bike five minutes to work and my whole life was right there, right? Mm-hmm. Surrounded by beautiful weather and beautiful people and like started to dive into health and wellness and I met a couple of vegan friends that I'm still very close to today that they had the, they had the influence on me to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. They would talk to me about like spirulina mm-hmm. and like bee pollen and like one of them was like, hey Alan, I'm going to do a cleanse, like a raw fruit and vegetable cleanse. You want to do it with me? And I was like, yeah, I'll try that. At this point, I had been like doing some push-ups, like trying to like drink more water, like barely scratching the surface. Like, I think I just got a gym membership at that point. I was like skinny fat still. Like I was still trying to find my way into like a healthy lifestyle. Um, and I did it. And once I did that cleanse, I'm still working in the business, right? So I'm still serving food that is not like in line with this cleanse. Right. I don't know how I did it, but I didn't eat anything at work for three full days and only ate the raw fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And that was like an epiphany. Mm-hmm. I was in touch with my body and like a whole like metaphysical meditative, if you believe in this sort of like higher power, like meditative spiritual practice. During that cleanse, I reached a point that I'd never reached with just self-awareness, like awareness of my body and my systems and my cravings and sort of where I was at, it was a big slap in the face with like, this is exactly where you're at, right? And this is what food does when you eat it. Because as soon as I went to eat that fried nacho and I ate it, I felt it. Mm-hmm. Or when I ate like that dairy or other things that weren't healthy, I felt it. Um, and then I started watching like Forks Over Knives came out around that time and I started to dive into that and I just got pumped about health. And I'm vlogging now. I'm talking about obesity and sugar and kids and cryptogenic cirrhosis, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and all these things. I'm like at home on a Friday night in my apartment with coffee blogging about this stuff. (laughs) I learned how to do like a WordPress WordPress blog. And like I had a few friends that would read it, but it came out, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I, like I said, I got sober. I quit smoking cigarettes. I felt really loved and supported. I had this amazing group around me that just, I was jumping out of bed in the morning and I felt very grateful and just full of like passion, right? And a newfound passion. Um, 
Yeah, but it, it was just more like I know this and I feel like everybody else needs to, needs to know this too without mm-hmm. being like belligerent. Yep. Like I would like quote scientific studies and I would quote doctors and documentaries and I would just share it on my Facebook page yeah. and send it in emails to people, right? And it was just, yeah, I did that like every week <clears throat> for like a whole year yeah. until my life got busy and I started doing other stuff that kept me too, you know, preoccupied. But um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's similar <clears throat> to how it started for me, dude. Uh-huh. It started, it started with switching my eggs for a green smoothie. Uh-huh. And that like was the, was the gateway drug. And, <laughs> and I did like smoothies for like same, same sort of thing, like three, four days. Uh-huh. Cause it just felt so ridiculously good. Uh-huh. And I had been so like protein obsessed my whole life. Yep as like an athlete and that's all all I was ever told. So I had never had like a raw, you know, whole plant meal ever. Yep. And then this green smoothie hits me and it's the same sort of thing. Like you do Uh a few days of that and then you go back to eating some of the things you were eating and you realize like, holy shit, because you've been exposed to this like whole new level of of feeling good and connected to your body. It's like a wild thing. So yeah. Totally relate to that. And then, I mean, again, similar thing with me. Like, you're like, okay, why? Like, why is that happening? You start digging into the science. You're like, okay. There's yeah. something here. You get around different people that are living a different way, that are eating a different way. And then yeah. you spiral kind of and yeah, very similar to me. Then that's why I started the podcast, right? Yeah. I feel and called to broken, share yeah. yep. that with people yeah. um, and how powerful what you put in your body is. Yeah. Simple as that. So love that. So yeah. You're down, so some of the habits you're picking up at that time, you're getting into yoga, you're eating more plant-based, you're yep. doing, CrossFit. You kind of doing CrossFit. Yep, yeah. started doing CrossFit, felt mm-hmm. like totally addicted to CrossFit, that was my new drug, mm-hmm. 6.30 in the morning, going and doing a wad before work, and then getting out of work and doing something else, like running five miles, I was totally like turned into a fitness junkie, mm-hmm. um, but I loved it. In Miami, yeah. the weather, it's, it's a lot easier to, to adapt to this type, kind of lifestyle, mm-hmm. Um yeah, it was just such a fun time in my life. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then you, so three years in Miami, then you moved <clears throat> back to Boston. Or so a total of four and a half years in Miami. Four and a half, all right. Yeah, three years in that one apartment, three and a half years at that hotel, and then I got yep. laid off from the hotel because they closed. Yep. One hotel took it over, and it's amazing now. It's really, it was nice then, but it's, it's, it's really nice now. Um, and then I was sort of like, when I got laid off, I didn't want to cook just any food anymore. And I'd been offered a job at Katsuya, a Japanese place. Okay. Like I knew I was going to get laid off because everybody was getting laid off. So I started interviewing. In the back of my mind, I knew I didn't want to just cook anything else, but I needed income. <clears throat> so I did interview. And then I realized like my lease was ending at my apartment. And something just told me like, I'm only, I only want to cook the food I want to cook. I don't want to cook that shit anymore. Mm. Any, any of it. I'm like, maybe I can do Japanese food. I'm like, nah, I don't want to do it. And at this point, I'm like pretty much vegan. I'm always open to being an omnivore, but I was really heavy in plant-based and yeah. using superfoods. I was big on how can I integrate superfoods in all levels of cuisine. And I would do like seven course tasting menus for my friends and dinners and stuff. And I would put superfoods in all of them. I was like crazy about the most <laughs> nutrient-dense food we could eat on the planet and how that would help. Like I said, CrossFit, I was creating energy bars and I was doing all this stuff that would apply to like athletes and performance and yep. and that kind of thing. Um, 
So I move in with a friend. I live in our sun porch for about nine months. And she's like, you don't have to pay rent. Just help around the house. And I pay the utility. So it was, a, it was the only thing that I could afford at the time. Um, it was tough to live in that situation. But I basically limited all my expenses. I quit CrossFit. I stopped paying my student loans. I just didn't have income. I dedicated yeah. myself. I sacrificed all those things to follow this new path. Yep. I just, I was stubborn. I was hard. I'm still that way. Yeah, like, I'm still that I, way too. <laughs> if I'm fixated on something and I feel like it's true for me, mm-hmm. I just stick to it. And I would, I have stones and I would, I'm a big believer in uh, visualizing the future that you want and manifesting um, positive outcomes. And I had a couple girls that came into my life around that time and they gave me a couple stones and I would hold them and I would just picture this like new life, this like, me cooking food that I wanted to cook. As simple as that sounds, yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't find a restaurant that was, that was serving the food I wanted to cook. I didn't, I, this was all new to me. This whole lifestyle was a very traditional chef. So for me to even let go of that whole belief system and the whole career basically and try to start a brand new career at 30, 31 years old, it was scary, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of faith in and being broke and living on sweet potatoes and lentils and not being able to pay my student loans and living with in an, an ideal situation, you know? Yep. And I did that for about nine months and I'd get, I got a gig with like Gardein. Gardein would have me yep. do like, I'd do like demos for them and I would do random like one-off stuff. Um, but that's when I left that door open and I was introduced to Tom and Giselle ultimately was at that time in my life. Yeah, and how did you get introduced? Like, I, I always find this fascinating, and uh-huh. for those that fall when I had Ben on, I was like, how did you go from, you know, the chef living yeah. on, you know, in your friend's sunroom, doing these random gigs to, like, bam, you know? So I'm a big believer that the universe will align like-minded people, right? And mm. by no means do I think that I'm at this, like, status that they're at. Yeah. But the way that it unfolded was very organic and natural, right? So I think I just told you where I was at that time. Um, in this apartment that I'm living in, the kitchen was like a closet. They had a kitchen and a stove. It was a makeshift kitchen, right? Yeah. It wasn't a kitchen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it had a fridge too. So I meet, I go to this book study. Because like I said, I follow a 12-step program. So I go to this book study that I didn't really want to go to. It was a bunch of guys that were, a bunch of gay guys, um, I was trying to get acclimated, acclimated to other guys that like men. I'm, I'm bisexual, and I, mm-hmm. that was all unfolded at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I go to this. I didn't really want to go. I'm like, I'm not really feeling this shit. Like, I don't want to go to a freaking book study with a bunch of guys I don't know. Yeah. But I go, and at that book study, I met this guy that introduced me to his boss that had one of the biggest event companies in Miami. Carla Descal. Her, her, her is called Carla Events. And she was looking for a chef, a plant-based chef at that time, to help her with... I think her personal stuff. So I meet with her and she's like, I think you're amazing. And um, she's like, why don't we do a tasting? She gave me like two months to prepare for it. And I know that this woman is connected and she can maybe give me a job, maybe help me get in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I'm in that makeshift kitchen every night testing all this, all new vegan plant-based recipes that I'd never done. Ice cream, freaking (laughs) dried Garlic, all types of stuff. Just figuring it out. Yeah. And the dehydrator was in my bedroom 
that had no walking room because they had cats in there. So I'm dehydrating in my bedroom because I didn't <laughs> want the cat hair to get in the dehydrator, right? So this is the situation. <laughs> and then I'm in the kitchen that doesn't really have a counter. It has a skinny little side thing. And I'm creating these recipes, right? And I'm, I, I'm like fixated on making this the best tasting she's ever had. Seven courses and she's seen everything. So I, I have the video too of this dinner. My buddy that's a high-end fashion photographer, he had somebody come and videotape this dinner. I have the video, I have the footage. Amazing. Yeah, I'll have to send it, it's freaking amazing. So anyway, at that dinner, she had this woman, Veronica Menin, who's one of my closest friends today. She ran an event called uh, Conscious Bite Out. Conscious Bite Out was an underground, sort of vegan, plant-based dinner club, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, you definitely have to do my next dinner. She canceled the next chef and she had me place, replace him and do the next dinner. So again, I'm on the spotlight, right? I get a little bit of press around this and it's yeah. awesome. She's well-connected, beautiful girls and everybody's like health conscious. Um, so <laughs> she is the ex-girlfriend of Tom's chef at that time. His name is Nick Torrent, Nicholas Torrent, right? Okay. So after the dinner, she's like, oh, you got to meet my friend Nick. Like you guys are very like-minded. You guys should meet. And I don't know who he is. I'm yeah. like, I'm open, whatever. I live in Wynwood at this time. I'm sharing space with my friend as a photographer and like, let's have coffee. Like, yeah. no harm, no foul. So I meet with him and he's like, yo, I have these clients in LA that I love, um, but I need some time off. Can you fill in for me? And I, he tells me who they are. And I'm like, at that time, I had just started to put together like a business plan. I want to launch energy bars and I want to mm -hmm. do these dinners on my own. And I have literally have little mini business plans written up. And I even talked to somebody about investing from investing shortly before that. I have a website, I have photography, I have recipes. Like I'm ready to do yeah. similar to what I'm doing now. Yep. Back in 2012, 13. So I'm like, oh, man, Tom Brady, like I know him. <laughs> I, I met him like years ago at a, at a restaurant that I worked at. And I was like anybody from here. I was just as fanatical about Tom than anybody else was. Right. Yeah. Um, but I still didn't really jump at the idea cause I really was happy with my situation. Mm. And I was like, oh, all right, like I'll, I'll fill in for you, but I very much have a life in Miami that I want to pursue. I'm living in this badass place at this point. Um, I'm making amazing connections. People are really, like, like I said, really supportive. Things are flowing. Carrying me, yes. Yeah. Like I had never experienced. I'm like, it's going to take a lot for me to leave this situation. It didn't take too much. <laughs> all, all, <laughs> all it took was an ask from Tom and Giselle, and I went. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I go and I fill in for him, and I tell Tom the story about how I met him when I was 21 years old at a restaurant. He doesn't remember, but I did. Yeah. I was drunk, and he wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was fun and I ended up like what I was cooking was exactly what they wanted right mm -hmm. and Nick wasn't quite the right fit like other people might not have been the right fit but I was the right fit for what they wanted we were pretty much seeing eye to eye on what they wanted what I wanted to cook it was sort of like what I was manifesting back in that sun porch was like they were the ones that I could cook for that appreciate what I was cooking and also pay me to do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that existed. I didn't know anything about the private chef world. I didn't think I'd ever be a private chef. I didn't want to be one. Restaurant chefs don't 
I don't want to say they don't respect private chefs, but they're just a different, it's a different industry. Mm -hmm. It's totally different. You usually don't combine the two. Um, so anyway, they asked, he gave his notice. They asked me to take the job. I was back in Boston in like a month. Yeah. I left everything dead in its tracks and I came back here. Yeah. Drove up with my hatchback Honda with like, I gave away a bunch of stuff and just drove up and made it happen. Borrowed money from a friend to make it happen and I made it happen. Yep. Yeah. Unbelievable, man. I love like, yeah. <clears throat> I'm big into the manifestation as well. Mm -hmm. And just like when you really, as you say, visualize it and, and kind of put that out there, like the opportunity comes in a way you never expect it to come, yeah. but it comes, um, in my experience. Yeah. And it sounds like that's kind of what happened. You were like kind of in this good place, things were flowing, but then this like curveball comes in. Yep. But it's this unbelievable curveball that is totally in line right. with what you were actually right. trying to make happen. Yeah, you can't. The universe has a plan that we know nothing about. Mm. And as long as we just remain open to it and we're not so convinced of like, this is what has to get done right now. Because we put ourselves in a box and we don't allow the universe to, to jump in and help us get to where we ultimately want to go. We don't even know that we can get there. I didn't know that I could get to where I am today. I had a vision and I can... I'll show you how I mapped it out. What I wrote out back then in that business plan of what I wanted to do, it's all come, pretty much all come true. Mm. I wanted to write books. I wanted to share my message with people. I wanted to become a public speaker. I wanted to do all these things. I didn't know how I was going to get there. Yeah. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, and it's refusing to accept, like there's probably been a ton of times along that path where, you could have taken the job cooking burgers and fries in right. at, at the kind of high end burger yeah. steak joint or whatever. Right. And you refuse those things. So it's like knowing what you want <clears throat> and then, you know, sticking to that. Even if you got to live on the friend's couch or you got to yeah. borrow money or, you know, and things just align if you are in line with, with yourself and your values, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So what's so... With the Brady's, so what is, from your time there, how many years were you there? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half. What mm -hmm. was, like, your biggest takeaway from, you know, being around, obviously, two of, like, the highest performers? You know, what was the biggest takeaway from yeah, they, your I time mean, there? I can be here mm -hmm. all day telling you about them and the impact they had on my life and how I've grown because of that time with them. Grown in many different ways, not just intellectually or in a business sort of, competitive type way that one might think. Um, I think it's just really, it's a lot of humility, right? It's a lot of humility with like the, the takeaway from them is like they're people, like we're people, right? And they, they feel the same way. Like we're human beings raising a family, doing the best we can, trying to share love and kindness. Um, being hyper-focused on what is important and not being distracted by the noise, right? Tom says it all the time. Mm. And she's just as good, if not better at that, right? Mm. Um, just so much to learn from that, you know? Like, they, mm. cl we're close in age. He's my brother's age. She's my sister-in-law's age. We're very close in age. But they certainly, the life experience and what they carry, what they possess, and how they practice life how they do life is certainly i've taken a lot from that mm. yeah for sure mm. that's amazing mm -hmm. so you then 
leave the Brady's. Mm-hmm. And is that something you wanted to do? Did you want to kind of start to do your own thing at that point? Yeah. So we had talked. I had always told them what my plans were. You know, always, always, always. They knew that the plans before I met them. They they always knew that I wanted to do something big. Um, and then once I did, <clears throat> I did an article with Boston.com that went viral, and I got a ton of attention. And and shortly after that, it was like I had all these. I didn't really have all these opportunities. I had this platform, right? Yeah. They're like, okay, well, we just gave you this platform. Like, fucking jump, right? Yeah. Like, we're not going like to hold you, you back. You publicly now are like <clears throat> the yeah. chef of Tom Brady, right? Right. And I remember that article, yeah. Yeah, so that platform they gave me was a platform that I couldn't have taken advantage of if I was still in that role with them. Mm-hmm. But I personally didn't have it in me to say, all right, guys, see ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> like, I couldn't do that. Like that. I was like, I told myself like, look, like, I'm loyal. Like, I'll give you like whatever time you need. I won't leave unless I would have stayed. If, if it was up to me, I would have, I'm not sure that I could have um, left as soon as I did. If they weren't the ones to say, Alan, go spread your wings. We gave you, we give you our blessings. Go do your thing. You know, but they, she was the one that really made the move for me. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So did you have a plan at that point or are you no, not really. trying to figure it out? And how long, how long no, it's was take, that? I mean, it's 2019. Here we go. <laughs> it's almost 2020. It's taken a while. So, <laughs> so was that, so 2000, <clears throat> what, 16 you left? Yeah. April yeah, 2016. Okay. <clears throat> so yep. I, I met you not long after that then. Yep. Okay. In your, yeah. So you're like, you had all kinds of plans. I remember at that time. Yeah. I mean, um, I always had plans. Even yeah. when I was with them, I was consulting on the side. I was trying to build things, always trying to build stuff on the side, yeah. but still committed to them and not willing to sacrifice my work with them. Totally. You can't, you can only do so much in a day. Right. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I have a pretty regimented plan schedule in my day that I stick to, you know, to stay sane and healthy and alive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just couldn't do and when I left them, my first priority was like, I need to pay my bills, yeah. right? So aside from like wanting to do what I'm doing now or whatever, I needed to make sure that I was taking care of that part of my life. And that took a lot of time. Yeah, I've been self-employed for the last three years, yep. three and a half years, right? And I'm going to continue to do that. But so that was a pretty big time suck of just trying to maintain... Some type of income. Yeah. yeah. And live in Boston and mm-hmm. kind of stubborn, not wanting to live in a shithole apartment, like wanting to have a decent lifestyle um, and maintaining that lifestyle, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So a few years later, <clears throat> yep, we, we, we now arrive at, uh-huh. at AC Kitchen. Right. That's AC what you're Kitchen. calling it, right? I'm yep. not butchering that. Yep. yep. So tell us, tell us all about that. So AC Kitchen will be... That? it will. It will start out as, we're going to call it AC Kitchen 1.0. So it will start out as a, a meal delivery service based out of Chestnut Hill, delivery or pickup, full meal plans, partial meal plans, custom meal plans, and children's stuff. Um, I can only take about 30 to 40 clients. It's pretty small. It's a brand new immaculate um, top of the line kitchen that I'm using in Chestnut Hill. Um, but this is my time to perfect the recipes perfect the packaging, like a lot of stuff I have in place because I've been working on this for a while. Um, 
And then after this sort of three month 1.0 phase, I plan to scale a much bigger multifaceted food operation that would have catering and some type of food incubator, social impact sort of piece that would be located here in Boston too. And then ultimately New York and Miami. Mm -hmm. But that's, yeah, that's the goal. Within three months, I plan Mm -hmm. to scale this up. But right now I've got room for like 30, 40 clients. Yep. And it's... It's, I was reading the, we were reading the card before. So it's, it's Wednesday, Sunday, yeah, Sunday, Wednesday delivery. Yep. Or pick up. So three days of food at a time, or you can do three days and two days. You can do a five day meal plan. No, you can just do three days. Um, you can do breakfast, lunch, dinner, or just lunch and dinner. Uh, there'll be add-ons to my energy bars, the chocolates that I gave you, Mm -hmm. there'll be some stuff as add-ons and then children's. I think it's hard to find children's meal delivery, but I'm going to add that as well for the meal plans. You can add on the kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, so plant-based or yeah. flexitarian. So flexitarian will have like organic, local, pastured animal protein, mm-hmm. mostly plant-based, but there will be some wild fish, organic, local chicken, and organic pastured eggs. Right. So you can choose kind of which direction you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, plant-based will have a wider yeah. array of um, plants, right? Yeah. So expect to see a little seaweed a little algae. I'm going to try to give you everything you need to be completely vegan. Um, and that's why the price point will stay the same. Yep. And then flexitarian will have similar menus, but animal protein too. And the overall goal is eating to, you know, be the best version of yourself or, or get fitter or like that's kind of the yeah. overarching so goal. So I'm calling it nutrition forward comfort food. Gotcha. Um, my background is traditional, creating an, an experience, creating, um, provoking nostalgia mm. and a, a warming, you know, sensation. I don't want it to be, I have to shovel this kale salad in my mouth because I want to perform my best. I want it to be like, this is enjoyable. This is something I look forward to. Totally. So where's that fine line between food as fuel to be your best and also accommodating that person that's like, I kind of like what Alan does. All I know about him is that he's super extreme. He feeds Tom Brady and he doesn't eat mushrooms or tomatoes. Right, right. And that freaks me out. And so I've sort of like my philosophy is not identical to a TB12 type philosophy where like I will have nightshades and I will have some mushrooms. I will never use dairy and white sugar and gluten, right? And anything else that's processed. But it's a lot more approachable and it's a lot more... I don't want to say more. It's approachable and it's familiar to the average person that might be where I'm originally from. Mm-hmm. That it's not common to eat like a lot of vegetables with your food or to cut out sugar and dairy. Like it's not that common. So although this is a premium service, I'm still taking the approach to accommodate the old me. Totally. That was locked up in that mindset of like salt, fat, sugar, freaking flavor presentation. Like mm-hmm. that person needs to be talked to in the same, in the same tone. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think that's super important. And with what I'm doing, it's like, that's the word I use. It's like approachable, yeah. you know, like for me, it's like people know what a burger is. Let's give them a burger. That's better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you got to meet people somewhere versus like, like you said, not everybody wants to, uh, be sober and eat kale all day. Right. Yeah. Probably would be a good idea for people. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but it's, that's it's not, too... that's so foreign, right? That's so. And drink a lot of water and do all the other stuff. <laughs> it sounds like a lot. And I thought it was a lot yeah. too, but it's, it's a lifestyle. It's like, we can sit here and talk about food and the meal plans, but mm-hmm. that isn't it. That's just a little, it's, 
uh, so I don't say a little, but it's just a piece of it. It's the awareness. It's the intention. It's how you talk to people in public. It's like how we can, it's all these things mm-hmm. that it's a yoga mind. It, it's, you know, it's visualizing and manifesting. It's, it's taking control of your mental, physical, spiritual health in a way that food can help. I think if you make the right decisions around food, that right decision-making can benefit other areas of your life and relationships. I do believe that. Totally. But it's got to all be in unison. It can't just be, I only eat healthy, but I'm an asshole. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. got to be hand in hand. Yeah, you eat perfectly, but you have, you know, you, you have negative dick. thoughts. Yeah, you're a dick. You, <laughs> like, talk down to yourself. You're, you know, exactly. there's so many, like, yep. other aspects. And I would probably, I would, when I first got into this, I'd probably, I would have put food first. Yeah. Um, but now I'm very much, like, mind first. I think mind's probably number one, not the, yep. but again, oh, food definitely. impacts the way you think, I think, too. Uh-huh. So they're all connected. Yeah, because you got the food thing. And we know it's usually the mind that needs to be tamed on a regular basis. That yeah. you can't just feed with, with actual food. Totally. It needs to be fed in other ways. I'm, I'm with you on that. Totally. So on that note, we're getting uh, close to... I know we got to keep it keep it around 45 for you here. Yep. Um, what, uh, if you could quickly touch on some of, outside of food, some of the other things you've mentioned, yoga and manifestation and uh, maybe meditation. Can you touch on kind of some of the other things outside of food that keep you well and healthy and in a good place? Yeah. So meditation is big. Um, I feel like I, I listen to a lot of, um, people's journeys and stories. And most of the time when they've come from a place like I came from and they're at this age, they're talking about meditation, right? Mm. But I don't think we, I can't emphasize enough how important it is, right? Because it is like doing exercise for the brain. And it is, there's so much science behind it. And for me, I just can't say enough that even 10 minutes a day, um, laying down, standing up, sitting in lotus position, whatever it is, um, that can have a dramatic impact on how I think, how I talk to myself, how I perceive you, how I look at the world. Uh, the books help too. Obviously reading books that have the right content and mm-hmm. not looking at some cat videos on Instagram. Right. Like what we're absorbing every day is also being mindful of that. Because um, I'm a big believer that anything that we're taking in affects every area of our decision-making, our perception of, of life in general in the world. Like it really does. Um, so not to put myself in a bubble, but just being mindful of, um, the downside of technology and how it does take us away from human, human nature and where our habitat, um, and getting back in touch with like spirit and meditation and getting back to the roots that I think is really where we're going to thrive and feel contentment and fulfillment. Mm, Totally. So to somebody that's listening that is maybe where you were you know 10 years ago and mm-hmm. they're struggling with their health they're struggling with their path they're maybe an asshole right mm-hmm. what i mean what is like the one thing or maybe a couple things that you would recommend like that they can you know start tomorrow morning besides uh get on the ac kitchen list for their food that would help <laughs> yeah the food would help that's for number sure. one <laughs> Um, I think it simply starts with a little humility, little humility, like 
we see, we often see things about ourselves that we're constantly sweeping under the rug, ignoring, keep on going, survive, hustle, make it, right? Get mm-hmm. that paycheck, right? We're just sweeping shit under the rug constantly. Um, and that resentment that you have, you're stewing about something about mom, dad, brother, sister, ex, whatever, like that type of stuff. Um, I journal almost every day. Like I have a notebook that I almost every single day, if I wake up and there's something on my mind, I'm writing it down. I'm getting that. It's like a peeling an onion, that layer. Right. Mm. So I think, yeah, for the person, just start writing whatever it is. I've been doing this well before I got sober too. I would just put pen to paper. It didn't always make sense. Sometimes it would come out more like a rap, right? I'd be like angry writing. Um, but I think, yeah, just processing all that shit that's in your head that's most likely holding you down, whether you're healthy, not healthy, sober, drunk, it doesn't matter. Um, get that down on paper and let that come through. Um, obviously, like talking to someone helps, but I think an immediate action would be to just journal. Just write whatever it is on your mind and just get it out mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, so where can, where can people sign up for AC kitchen? Where can they follow you and everything you're doing? So my Instagram handle is chef Alan Campbell. The AC kitchen website is password protected. Um, but feel free to email connect at alancampbell.com if you're interested and I will certainly send you the info. Awesome. Awesome. And before we sign off, I just want to, uh, give you a shout out for your path and your, your journey, man. Like you're. Having heard the full story now, mm-hmm. like, you know, coming from where you came from to, you know, where you are today yeah, and being open to talk about that it hasn't always been pretty, you know, people see, you know, you in the Boston Globe as Tom Brady's chef and the, yeah. you know, the clean cut photo with the chef jacket on, yeah. right? And yeah. they, they don't see all the shit that it took to get to that place. Right. That's why I share um, about it, man. That's why you got to put it out there. Totally, man. So one, one person. Totally, man. So mm-hmm. it, it's inspiring. I appreciate mm-hmm. you and your message and what you're doing. And I share a similar one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, thank you, man. Keep going. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. Thank you so much. You got it, dude.